morning, family. It's uh, what a beautiful morning it is, and um, just experiencing this this last week, just the rain and the sun coming out on a beautiful morning like this. It's really good to be with you this morning. Um, those of you that are visiting us, um, welcome. We hope you have a, a wonderful time with us. Two of you pregnant. What amazing time! Spring, the expectation, everything. Um, it's lovely, lovely. Come back, come back, here you go, here you go, you're released. Good morning. And um, yesterday morning was lovely outside, I went for a run, as I was running, um, saw a beetle um, on a mission, it's like this beetle, and I went down and I I thought it may be a dung beetle, Um, turned out it wasn't, Um, but it made me think of dung beetles. Um, I don't know if you've ever, ever watched the dung beetle, um, rolling dung. You've got to respect the single-minded mission and purpose that a dung beetle is on. And what's wonderful, if you know a little bit about a dung beetle, is, is that it seems almost arbitrary what this dung beetle is doing in rolling this little peel of, piece of dung around. But to know what an amazing, great purpose it has in nature and how essential nature and the ecology is and how dependent it is on such a, a simple animal. And I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about an experience that I had last year and it carried out into the beginning of this year. Um, I'm really fortunate to be in a job, in a profession that I really love, that I'm passionate about, that I've always felt that I've got a great role to play in. I see the greater purpose in it and the relationships that I have and so on. But because of that virus that, whose name I won't say anymore, the way that our world changed and the way that everything went online and the administrative war that sort of became involved in for the first time in 17 years, I found myself in a place why I did not like what I was doing at all. And it was really like a period of months um, where I could spend time with friends and Ilza and really in prayer with God. And it turned out to be such a good thing for me because I'd never experienced that with what a lot of people experience very often or even sometimes most of the time where they are so unhappy with their lives and their jobs and profession or the businesses, the world that they are involved in. And, you know, it helped me to come to a place where I really had to see God and ask myself the questions, but, you know, how much weight do I attach to some of the things in my life and what my purpose is and, you know, what I find meaning and purpose in. And, you know, thinking about the dung beetle again, you know, on the one hand, I think some of us feel like, you know, we're sort of like, you know, just in this rat race and just going through the motions day in, day out, and it feels purposeless. And some of us, you know, sort of trying to, you know, change things, make it better, you know, almost not ever being satisfied with where we we are in our lives right now, and knowing sometimes that something has to change. And even as Christians, we think our you know, life should make more sense and we should make a greater difference and we should, you know, 
just have a better life experience? And these are such important questions, and, and, and I know I often say this when I speak to you guys, is, is that I, I really find that one of the greatest problems that we have in this world, in our lives, and whether we're Christians or not Christians, is the question of what our purpose is and how we find meaning in this life, despite what our circumstances may be, whether they're good or bad or challenging or things are going as well as we want to or not. And it's really what I want to talk to you uh, about this morning, are these questions about purpose and, and, and meaning. And it's really a tough message this morning, and some of us are going to be feeling really challenged about the things that are, we, we are going to hear. And it's part of this series, if, if you're visiting us this morning, or you've maybe missed some of it, is, is it's, we're, going, we're journeying through this book of Mark, and the series is called This Upside Out Kingdom, and it's really about... Jesus teaching us about what his kingdom is like and that it's so different from the kingdom that we expect and that even the people that walked with him and that were expecting him, you know, uh, thought it was going to be like. And it's the same thing this, this morning. And you can turn to Mark 11. Well, I want to tell you a little bit about it. Um, but just sort of if we focus out where we are right now is, is that like more or less the first five chapters of of Mark are dedicated to Jesus basically through what he is doing and through what he is saying is asking people the question, who am I? Who is this messianic king? Who is this Jesus that came into our world? And then for the next five chapters or so, he's really challenging people's ideas and perceptions about who we are, and we've experienced this. If you've listened to this series, if you were here the last few weeks, you would have really been challenged in how you see Jesus and what it means to be his, his follower. And so from this morning, the next few chapters in, in Mark, it's about Jesus becoming king and how, what it is how he becomes king and what it means to us. And that's where we're going to lift off this morning. And I want to ask you, because two of the stories we're going to be reading, those of you, if you've been in church or you even went to a, a school where sort of Bible was spoken or grew up in a house like that, you'll know these stories. But I want to ask you in your, in your mind, in your heart, sort of put what you think you know, put it aside a bit, and try to listen to it with fresh ears and ask God to really reveal to you something about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like and how you fit in to this kingdom of his. So let's, let's start by reading at Mark 11 verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Father, thank you. We can open your word. Thank you that you made your word available to us, Father. I pray, Father, that as we continue to talk about these things, that you want to talk to us about, that we will... Open up the ears of our heart, Father, and that you will speak to us, and that you will minister to us, and that you will convince us of what you want to convince us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what have we got here? We've got this story of something that's happening where Jesus is coming from outside of Jerusalem into Jerusalem, but it's almost strange because we... We read about him coming into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, he goes out of Jerusalem again, he comes back, there's this thing about the fig tree and him, you know, wanting to eat from it and he curses it, then we're going back into Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple, then he goes out of Jerusalem again and again there's this story about the fig tree continuing and Jesus then teaching them something. It's almost as if you've got a number of stories which seemingly have got nothing to do with each other, but do they? You see, because Matthew does not, Mark does not, when he tells a story, when he tells us about something that Jesus did or what he said, he's very intentional. He does not simply tell us things in the order in which they happened because he's telling us what the history is. He's grouping things together and he's, he's, he's using themes to convey an idea to us that he wants us to understand. 
And this specific thing, if you're interested in these kind of things, it's called intercalation, where you sort of have layers of things. And the purpose of these layers, of putting stories in between other stories, is because you want to emphasize something particularly. So in your mind, maybe, when you thought back about Sunday school, what you've heard in church, you may have thought, you know, okay, we know about the temple, we, we know about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, we know about the cleansing of the temple, we know about this fig tree that's used, and we think of them as completely different events that have got nothing else, and we've got different ideas, but it's all part of a greater theme that God wants to talk to us about, and it's important that we know what this is. But we're going to look first at his coming into Jerusalem then we're going to look at what happened in the temple. Then we're going to look at what this thing is about, this fig tree. And we're going to be challenged in what we think and what we think we knew and what this kingdom of Jesus is really about. So what we see first is we see Jesus saying to two of his disciples, go into the village and you'll find this cult, a, a donkey full, a young, young donkey on which nobody has ever ridden before. And bring it to me. And the people... They, uh, if they ask you where, you say the Lord need it, and you'll bring it back, and then bring the donkey, and that's what they, they, they do. And I don't want to go into all the symbolic things about the donkey and, and you know, so on, but what it is important for us to know is that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy that comes out of the Old Testament, where it was said that there was going to be this coming king, a savior, and he was going to come in riding humbly on a donkey, on the cult of a donkey. And so that's the first thing that sort of must, you know, challenge the people's idea of who this Jesus is. Because what they would have expected if you've got this victorious king is that he comes on this war horse and that he comes in riding victorious and that he comes with a sword and that he's going to, you know, display his majesty and we see something completely opposite. We see him coming, riding in humbly on a donkey. But the people know that there's, this is important what's happening here. And so they are welcoming him as a king, a king in the line of David. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And over thousands of years, Hosanna became a, a way of praising, a way of, of, of welcoming and, and lifting up. A king, and that's also when we sing these songs that we heard, that's the way that we do it. But if you go back to the original meaning of the word Hosanna, what it actually means is save us. Save us. And that's what the people are shouting is Jesus save us because they've got this idea and they have been oppressed by these Romans for so long. And they've been beaten, they've been struck down, and they've been suffering. And they want this messianic king to come and save them and set them free. And often that is what we do when we come to Jesus, when we call on Jesus, and we shout, Jesus, save us, help us. We want him to come into our situation and, and help us with our situation and the challenges that, that we have. And as you're going to see as we continue the people got it right, because that is who Jesus is. That is who He is for you. He is your Savior. He is the one that wants to come into your life, and as you welcome Him into your life, He wants to change your circumstances, and He wants to show you who He is, and He wants to make a difference in your life, and He wants to improve your life. 
But that's not all who he is. It's not all who he is. You see, it's, it's so important that when these people, when they welcome him as a king in the line of David, that there's something that we have to understand about what this line of David is that we're talking about. And I don't want to make long stories about it, but it goes right back to the beginning where God created man and he created us for a purpose, created you for a purpose, and he said, now go and fill the earth. And God said that he created you in his image. And then that covenant that he had with man, he repeated it to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob and through all the Old Testament. And then again with David, he repeated that covenant. And I want to take you quickly to a scripture in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, and it's going to be up so you don't have to, to try and page there right now from verse 3 to 5. And now through Isaiah, God is speaking to Israel, and it's got something to do about this line of David. And it says, Incline your ear and come to me, year that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. And so that is really central to Jesus coming as a king, is that he's coming to fulfill this promise of David, where it's not only about Jesus helping you with your circumstances and the challenges, but that there's something greater, a plan that he wants you to fulfill. And we're going to continue looking into that because that what happens is, is that he goes and he goes to the temple and there's this one verse and it says, he says that he goes to the temple and he looks at everything, but because it was late, he left again. He comes into the temple, he looks at everything and he leaves again. And then it says the next day, he comes back again. And what happens when he comes back? It's not exactly the same picture as him coming in riding humbly on a donkey. There's a difference to this coming king. It goes on, it says, sorry, no, I lost my spot. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the temples of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So what an interesting event. And this, this, the people were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished at this teaching that he had? And again, we need to, to look back at something that was said in Isaiah, because that's what Jesus is quoting when he's teaching them. 
look at Isaiah 56. It says the following from verse 6. It says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Listen to this. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now to fully understand this, there's something that you have to understand about what's happening here and where this is happening. You see, you've got this temple mount on which the temple was built. But there was different areas on this, in this temple. And when it talks about Jesus coming into the temple and he sees what's going on and he sees people are selling things, they are selling things that are going to be sacrificed and there are money changes and there's trading going on and Jesus being unhappy with it, it's happening in an area of the temple that's sort of the beginning as you come into the temple. It's this huge area that's walled. But on the inside, there's another wall. And this area is called the court of the Gentiles. It was the court, it was that part of the palace where the Gentiles, those who were foreigners, those who did not, uh, were not Jews, who were not of the lineage of David, that they could come from all over, and they did. The city would swell over, pass over, and the people would come from all over the known world then to come and worship God. But they were not allowed to go beyond a certain point in the temple, and so the only place that they could go to was this court of the Gentiles. And what the Jews had done was they would not defile the inside of the temple by selling these things and making money out of the Jews that could go beyond a particular point at the temple. And so they changed this court of the Gentiles where the foreigners could come into a place where they would sell animals to these foreigners and make money out of them for their own benefit. And that's why Jesus becomes so upset about this. That's why he acts the way that he does. Because he's reminding them and saying to them, but you worship me and you welcome me as a king in the line of David. And you say to me, come and save us. But you know that what this covenant is that I have with you and that my Father has with you is not only for you and for your benefit because you're of the line of David. It is also for the foreigner, for those who are far off, for those who are not Jews. And I want my, play, my temple, my house to be a, Lord, a house of prayer for the nations. But what you have done is that you've made it about you. What you have done is that you have taken my original purpose, my plan for you, and my, the plan that I have for the house, and you have changed it into something else. You have changed it into something that's all about you. Where you want me to come and save you, and you want me to come and make your life better, and you want me to provide for you, and you want me to save you from the Romans, and whatever the challenges that you find yourself in. And you've forgotten that your original purpose is for you to come to me and to become again the image that I created you to be in. 
and so that you can reflect my glory to the people and so that you can represent me to the people, to the foreigners, to those who don't know me, to those who are far off. You have abused what I have given to you. And that is why Jesus becomes so intent on showing to them, saying to them that this is not why this temple is here. And church, the the sad reality is, for me and for you, is that that often, if not most of the time, is what we do as Christians, is that we do as churches, is that we have made Christianity and we've made our churches and we've made living the life that we live, we've made it all about ourselves, about Jesus coming to save us. And we've forgotten that yes, He wants to save us. Yes, He wants to make your life better. Yes, He wants to help you with your challenges. Yes, He wants to set you free from sin. Yes, He wants to provide for you. But it is not only for you. It's also for those who don't know Him, who are far off. You see, you can know a lot about Christianity and you can know a lot about Jesus. But if you miss what Jesus' mission is, you will miss the whole purpose and the meaning of your life. And that is why Jesus takes it so seriously when he acts the way that he does and he teaches them. And the people who hear his message are astounded. Why are they astounded? Because For hundreds of years, the people who were leading the church, the people who were in the temple, they were living a particular way. They were acting in a religious way that everybody thought that's the way that it has to happen. I can almost see this picture of 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 being a foreigner and you're journeying towards Jerusalem wanting to go worship God and wanting to go praise God and wanting to go make sacrifices. And you see this wonderful city and you see the temple there and you see the smoke coming out of the holies holies and the altar of God and thinking, yes, I can't wait to be there. And then going there and finding that you are being fleeced And that it's not what you're expected at all. And that these people don't care about you. And that they don't love you. And that this idea that you have of this loving God is something completely different. What are we, as a church, what are we representing to the world? You, your life, what what are you representing to the world? To those who are far off, who don't know Jesus. You see, if you start to understand what Jesus' mission is for us as a church and for us as individuals, then you see what happened with a fig tree in a completely different light. Because it's this strange story where he comes and he's hungry and he goes to this fig tree and he wants to eat fruit of it and he finds there aren't fruit and he curses it. And Mark tells us, he says, Because it was not yet the season for figs, which is kind of strange. Why would Jesus curse it then? But this fig tree is, throughout the Bible, 
it is a, a, a picture of the nation of Israel. It's, it, it represents this nation that God entrusted with this mission and to be His representatives to the world. And we need to reflect His glory and we need to display to the world what His kingdom looks like. And you see far off and you see this tree and it's in leaves. And if a fig tree has leaves, you should expect that it's going to have fruit on it. And even if it's out of season, because that, every fig tree leaves and fruits at the same time of the year. Some are a little bit earlier, some are a little bit later. And so when Jesus sees this fig tree with leaves on it and it looks beautiful, he expects that there should be fruit. And when he gets close, he says it's not bearing any fruit. It is not living the purpose which it was created for. And so he curses it. And it's pointing forwards to what would, have hap- what would happen to the temple that we're going to get into in the next following weeks. What happened to the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the nation of, of Israel. But what is clear from these messages, and if we consider what our lives are and our meaning and our purpose, is that that Jesus that came in riding humbly on a donkey, he comes closer, he comes into the temple and he says, he looks around, he looks at everything. He's basically asking, what's going on here? And he sees our lives and people may see our lives from a distance. It may look at your, at your life. And it looks beautiful, covered with leaves. And as people come closer to you and they look, they don't see fruit. Because Jesus' expectation is, is that whether it's going well with us or whether it's going badly with us, whether it's in season or out season, that we should bear fruit. We should look a particular way. We should live a particular way. Because it is not for Jesus just to come into our lives, but for Him to come into our lives and for us to respond to Him. And as we respond to Him and come close to Him and start walking with Him, and as we start being a relationship with, with Him, we find ourselves turning away from the lives that we've been living, turning away from things that are wrong, turning away from purposes that are not aligned with His purpose. And goals that are not aligned with his goals. And we start to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? The kind of fruit that, that comes from living with the spirit inside of us. Goodness, kindness, loving, patience. All nine that I can't remember. But also the fruit of people. The fruit where we welcome the foreigners into our lives. Where we tell them about this wonderful kingdom that we've been invited to be part of a Jesus that loves us and that wants to change our lives and wants to impact our hearts and that He wants to come and He wants to show us that there's more to life than us just rolling things around and going through the motions. And so Jesus is inviting you into that life and He's saying, I'm coming to you as a humble king and He's giving us time He's giving us time to turn to Him. You know, He came 
humbly riding on a donkey. But if you read on in your Bible and you get to Revelation, we start seeing what it's going to be like in the end and we see what it's going to be like when he comes again. He's not coming in riding, sitting on a donkey. He's going to come riding in on a horse with a sword, with fire coming from his eyes. And he's coming to change this world once and forever. And we are fortunate to be in the time between him coming humbly as a donkey and when he's coming again on a war horse. So that we can change. And so that we can do our part, finding purpose and meaning to change the world around us and our environment around us. And we don't know how much time we have. So what can we do? He goes on to tell us what we can do, but before we can tell us, there's something that, that's important. Um, Eugene, can I ask you, can you come up and play? You see, there's something that's very important, is, is that what you can go out of this place this morning and you can forget everything that, that you've heard or that you've thought of or that God showed to you this morning. That's the one extreme. The other thing that you can do is, is that I can give you like a three-point plan on how you can be a better person. I can tell you what book you can go and read so that you can become a better person and so that you feel more fulfilled and have greater life goals. Whatever. Neither of those are going to make a difference. Neither, neither of those is going to make a difference in your life or make a life in the, difference in the lives of the people that you know or the people that you don't know that you are still going to get to know. You see that if we're really honest with ourselves and we hear this message and we know about this mission that God has been on from the beginning of the world and that He keeps reminding us as we walk through the Bible and as He comes and He shows us as He's now becoming the King, we know that we fall short. We know that on even our best intentions, even our greatest achievements in this life, the best connect group you've ever had, the best way that you were able to share the gospel with somebody, whatever it is, all of it, our lives fall short of the example that Jesus set for us, of the life that He actually called us to live, of the reflection that we should have of who this great and wonderful God is. And the sad thing about that is, is that we can become really depressed if we think about it in this way because we know that's the truth and we know that what we deserve for that is it's not good. What we deserve for that is what happened to that tree. is that it's cursed all the way from the top to the bottom dead that's kind of a hopeless thought and message but it's not the end see because if you continue to read the story about how Jesus becomes king we see that the way that he became king was not like Peter did he took a sword and started chopping people's ears off or hurting them or destroying people or exercising vengeance over people and going into a palace and sitting onto a throne. But it's about him being ridiculed, found guilty of something that he did not deserve, him being beaten, 
him being spat on, him being forced in, in, a, in a condition that he should have been, most people would have been dead already to take up a cross and to walk with it up onto a hill. He was crucified, killed in the most awful way that anybody has ever been able to think of. And the Bible tells us that there's something about somebody that hangs from the tree. It says that cursed, cursed will be he that hangs from a tree. You see, in cursing that, that, that fig tree and showing what should happen because of a failure to bear fruit and to be part of this plan that Jesus has for a dying and an and a unloved world is the curse, is death. But he took that curse upon him. He became the fig tree. And he took the curse upon him that you and I deserve. He took it upon him and he stood in our place and he replaced that curse that we deserved because he took it on him he took the blessing that he should have received, and the power that he should have received, and that he's entitled to, and he gave that to me and to you. He exchanged that curse for a blessing so that we can be blessed, but also so that we can be a blessing for the world. And then he says the following. He says, they ask him, what about this tree? You cursed it and now it's, it's dead. Verse 22 says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Church, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. What an amazing thing to know that if we ask with faith, God will do it for us. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So the question this morning for us, church, is if we know what God's mission is, we know what Jesus did for us so that we are able to accomplish this mission that he has provided for us. What are the things that you are praying for? Is it all about you? Will you pray that he gives you the nations? He gives you your friend, your family, your colleague. Because if you believe, you ask in faith, We'll give it to you. And then he says, and forgive. Because he knows how we feel about the foreigners. He knows how we feel about those who are different than us. He says, forgive. And as you forgive them, God will forgive you. So church, I'm going to ask us, we're going to go into a time of prayer. Just you, just you and God. Him speaking to you. You speaking to Him. 
you can close your eyes and give you a few minutes to spend time with Him. Jesus, thank you that you that you come to us softly, humbly, meekly, kindly, with compassion and grace. you that we can be part of your mission, your plan for a dying world. We can have purpose. Us as a church and us as individuals. Thank you that we have time. That we can look forward to you coming in so differently, victorious on a war horse, brandishing a sword, firing your eyes. May we not wait until it's too late. And may we have an urgency to participate in your mission because we know that those, that day is also coming for those we love but who don't love you, for the foreigners, for those who are far off. Change our prayers, our perspectives, things we ask for and want and pursue in this world. Or we keep our eyes closed if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. If you've never given your life to this King, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. If that's you and you've never given yourself over, you've never said, Jesus, come into my life. I don't want to live for myself anymore. And you've made a commitment, not just in words, but with your life, a life of repentance and where you turn away from the old way. If you've never made a decision like that, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. It's an opportunity for you to invite Jesus into your life, to see your own life change, but not only yours, the promises for those, for you and for those who are far off. That's you. I want to make a decision this morning. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's no one, then it just shows how, how great and wonderful the task is that lay ahead of us. If you this morning and you want to say this morning, look, Jesus, I commit myself to this mission of yours and I want to change the way I live and my purpose and meaning. I don't want it to be something temporary. I want it something permanent. And perhaps you've been struggling with that for a while and you just want me to pray for you. Raise your hand. I'm going to 
pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Jesus, I pray for everyone that's raised their hands and specifically say this is a challenge that they're having. They want to commit their lives to living for your purpose and your meaning. Pray that you will be with them. I pray for a fresh anointing. I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and that they will be your witnesses here in Linwood and Pretoria and Gauteng and South Africa and to the rest of the world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.